0: episode 32 of our Fabulous Flowers TV podcast. What an honour, what a treat, to be delicately pouring our fun, floral facts and fictions into your listening ears in this, the first of our festive podcasts this year. Bringing you a cocktail of sparkly delights, it's me, your tinsel-clad bauble, Lucy Nolan, and the most flowery and twinkly of the King of the Fairies, the very, very top of your festive tree. My wonderful friend, truly talented and gorgeous man, that is Paulie Hawkins. Hi, Paulie. How are you doing?
1: I just love your intros. I'm very, very well, thank you. How are you today?
0: Hmm, I'm tickety-boo, thank you very much. Yes, all going quite well, recording this on a Sunday. Um, How's your Sunday going?
1: Very, very lovely. I've just driven up to London from Sussex and I've been munching on a great big Toblerone
0: Brilliant. Okay, Paulie, so let's get going on our very magisterial subject for this podcast. And that is, of course, the Christmas tree. So very much focusing on that, aren't we? Um, And that's something that we've been researching and looking forward to. But before we get going on some of the Christmas tree facts, um, Paulie, where do you stand on the history of and how did the Christmas tree symbolise itself in your childhood and throughout your life? There
1: is something about a Christmas tree that really touches part of our souls, I would say. Deeply sentimental, often bittersweet, making one think of Christmas's past and happy childhood memories. They encapsulate the the expectation, the thrill and the wonderment of this time of year, sort of instilled instilled in us from the moment we can rip open a present with terrifying aplomb. It's amazing. Did your mother say the, the wrapping paper?
0: Yes, we had to foldings yeah. and doings. Save that for next year, darling. Might be yes. good for a rewrap next Bold year. Foldings
1: <laughs> and the ribbon. Yes, oh, always the ribbon. <laughs> mm. I remember my grandmother really t- trying to get the cellar tape off really carefully. Anyway, <laughs> carefully. Mm. But it does take me back to childhood memories. It does? I mean, it really does a Christmas tree. And when I was little, it was very much my domain um, at home. Surprise, surprise. Being the youngest of four, I was bossed about relentlessly. But when it came to the tree, I suddenly became all kind of in charge, getting very upset with my siblings if they didn't place the baubles in a careful and considered decorative manner. Can you imagine? I'm sure you can't. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) The early days of creativity, I suppose, or something like that, But um, we had a great big box of fantastic car crash old glass baubles from many a moon ago, you know, and every now and then one would smash, you know, tinsel galore. I mean, it was the 70s and we had a wonderfully sort of Hollywood fairy at the top and I adored her uh, much more than my sister did, actually. Um, And she glowed wonderfully with the last bulb of the set, which was sort of popped up her crinoline and made her glow nicely. I think it would, I think it would make anyone glow, but um, a little bit like the fairy godmother in the Queen, in the, in the Wizard of Oz, you know, the fairy, the good fairy. In yes. the Wizard of Oz, gorgeous. What was her name? Griselda or something. I don't know. Mm. Ask all her. that. That's, that's mm. Lucy's lovely daughter, listeners. But anyway, such joy, such joy, such joy. And I'd adorn the lights with huge attention, attaching them with those freezer, plastic freezer ties with a wire in the middle um and it was an extremely important thing all the lamps would have to be uh, you know pointing in the right direction and i'd love to turn the drawing room lights off the lamps and see it all glitter and glimmer um you know uh, way into the night uh, sad child really and our greedy labrador merlin i remember one year he ate all the chocolates that was a bit of a drama and then the cat ran up the tree and uh, both of these instances led to a big collapsing of said christmas tree but uh, it's got me for life, really, that with childhood dramas. But anyway, now I supply and decorate them for a living uh, when installing whole houses with decorations from my lovely clients. And I still get a thrill from making the tree look absolutely perfect. It's very low maintenance, really. Artificial or real, both have benefits. But the scent of a real blue pine spruce is incomparable, wouldn't you say, Lou? Mm.
0: I would actually absolutely completely agree. There's something about that waft through the house that just says Christmas through the nose.
1: Mm, that's a mulled wine, I'd say. Mm, that's through the mouth. Mm. Um, but the yeah. smell is so evocative. Um, and even those fabulously disco-y silver tinsel trees that were around in the 70s, I mean, they were fun. But with the tree, the world is your oyster. And um, decorating your tree, its I mean, it's as personal as choosing a pair of shoes or a handbag, I'd say. You can throw everything, including the kitchen sink on it, or you can have a kind of a tasteful, paired back, minimal look. But um, one of my favourite old clients uh, for about 10 years was the very lovely celebrity florist hairdresser, Nicky Clark. Glad you asked. And I, know, I used to do his flowers every week in his wonderful um, Berkeley Square salon on the corner. There. It was very, very glitzy and exciting and exclusive. And he'd have a massive tree, massive tree, very tasteful, just light, nothing else, just light and fresh green, beautiful pine. But um, I used to love it there. I mean, it's digressing slightly, but he had this sort of little room, the VIP room. And every mo- Monday when we did the flowers, um, you know, I'd say to the girls, can you get, you can do the reception flowers. I'm doing the uh, the VIP room. And um, I'd, they'd have to do a at the door and there'd be a come in and uh, that would be nicky in there in his little vip room, doing someone's famous suing famous famous's hair and um it'd normally be someone like fergie i mean Ooh. younger viewers would think of the rapper or whatever but i mean, the duchess of york you know that's right jolly sally girl type always gorgeous loved her but she'd be there having a bob or it'd be someone else like what's her name um what is her name I can't think of any, but anyway, always a celebrity, and that was always very exciting. But I am digressing. Back to the Christmas trees. Um, Yes, I mean, oh, God, just thinking of a Christmas tree reminds me of a big wedding I did in Scotland, Lou. So I'm banging on a bit, but it is my subject, a Christmas tree. Um, Mm. We were doing a marquee on the side of a castle full of Christmas trees. Bought all the boxes of baubles at the lovely Covent Garden Flower Market from Whittington Sundries, best place and got them all up there, undid the boxes, and the client wanted gold baubles. Undid the boxes, and they were all red. Oh, God, it was so awful, so awful. But luckily, Jolly Bride, lovely client said, do you know what, we'll go with those. So I was quite lucky, really. Awful. Thank goodness, good yeah. for her. God, I mean, those sort of stories, I wake up in a sweat about that kind of thing. But whatever you do with your tree, don't get too serious about it make it fun, and enjoy it. It's like sort of, I don't know, it's fun, isn't it, really? And um, on Fabulous Flowers TV, we always love a flowery contributor, and we are absolutely delighted today to be joined by floral legend, the wonderful Paul Thomas. Paul's always been a huge inspiration to me. Uh, We both trained at Royal Florist Moises Stevens back in the day, and he is the Toast of Mayfair. He is the celebrated florist there, and... um, He's got quite a few wonderful Christmas trees tree stories up his sleeve, so uh, over to you Paul.
2: Hello, this is Paul Thomas. I'm very grateful to have been asked by Fabulous Flowers to contribute uh, some of uh, what I do for Christmas, particularly for Christmas trees um, over this period. Uh, I've been doing Christmas trees for far too long and uh, much longer than I prefer to remember. Uh, For the last 16 years, I've been florist to the Ritz and have installed all their wonderful Christmas decorations, including their magnificent 25 foot Christmas tree in the reception. Uh, That's always quite a feat. Um, It started many years ago when I used to try and source the perfect tree by going out to Denmark and wandering around the forest in the rain, trying to find a tree. I eventually found a much easier way, I found a fantastic supplier in Scotland. So always find a good supplier of your trees. Um, Some top tips, I would say, number one, if you buy a tree and you get home and you discover that it's too tall, don't whatever you do, take the top of it off. Maybe if, if the very top of it's very long and straggly, you can take a little bit, but always take it off from the bottom because it's about the shape. And it looks so dreadful when you see stunted trees where where people have just taken the easy option and locked the top off. That's an awful shame. Um, uh, Other tips I would say would be to, Always remember scale with with the um, with the tree. So if you're you're decorating a small one, um, obviously lots of little smaller decorations look charming. Um, but if you're going to go big, go big with your decorations as well. Um, put on things. You needn't be terribly expensive. Uh, put things on like uh, some really nice parcels with beautiful bows. Just gives it some umph and um, and and some drama, rather than being too bitty. And um, one of my favourite things that I do at home for Christmas is uh, we're, we don't do a colour scheme. Um, it's a bit chaotic, actually. we we sort of collected bits and pieces over the years um, from holidays and things. Just everywhere we've been, we collect something for the Christmas tree. And it's such a lovely time of decorating the tree and getting all these things out, remembering where they all came from. And actually, when you put it all on a tree, along with a load of baubles and bows and the lights, it looks so charming. And of course, it's unique, unique to you. So that's a really lovely way of doing it. Um, Of course, there's many other ways of decorating your home for Christmas. Uh, at Paul Thomas Flowers we've recently launched a a beautiful new collection on our website and uh, we're we're using some gorgeous garlands and berries and uh, a lot more natural things this year Um, so uh, again thank you so much to Paul and Lucy for inviting me to take part in this podcast and uh, it remains for me to just say have a very very Merry Christmas
0: Oh wow, that's lovely to hear from Paul. Paul, who I believe, Paulie, correct me if I'm wrong. He did the beautiful flowers at the royal wedding for Edward and Sophie. So that's the um, the Duke and Duchess of Wessex, I believe. And he did some flowers for them. And did he? Did he do a recent royal wedding? I can't remember, he Paulie. Said, did he do?
1: Do you know your floral know-how? Gossipy, flowery stories, Lou. Yes, he did. He did um, at Meghan and Harry's wedding um he did the uh, the inside of Windsor castle rob van helden did the outside and um and um uh, lovely paul did the paul. Uh, the interior paul thomas he's so brilliant
0: oh goodness me well lucky us to have him on our christmas tree podcast indeed and following on from that here are a few wonderful christmas tree fun facts that i found out Long before the advent of Christianity, plants and trees that remained green all year round had a special meaning for people all over the world in those dark winter months. Just as people today decorate their homes during the festive season with pine, spruce and fir trees, ancient peoples hung evergreen boughs over their doors, windows and inside their houses. In many countries, it was believed that the evergreen trees and branches would keep away witches, ghosts, evil spirits, and even illness. In the Northern Hemisphere, the shortest day and the longest night of the year falls on the 21st or the 22nd of December, and is called the winter solstice. Many ancient people believed that the sun was a god, and that winter came every year because the sun god had become sick and weak. They celebrated the solstice because it meant that at last the sun god would begin to get well again. Evergreen boughs reminded them of the green plants that would grow again when the sun god was strong and the summer would return. The ancient Egyptians worshipped a god called Ra who had a head of a hawk and he wore a sun as a blazing disc in his crown. At the solstice, when Ra began to recover from his illness, the Egyptians filled their homes with green palm rushes, which symbolised for them the triumph of life over death. Early Romans marked the solstice with a feast called Saturnalia, in honour of Saturn, the god of agriculture. The Romans knew that the solstice meant that soon farms and orchards would be be green and fruitful. To mark the occasion, they decorated their homes and temples with evergreen boughs. In northern Europe, the mysterious druids and the priests of the ancient Celts also decorated their temples with evergreen boughs as a symbol of everlasting life, and the fierce Vikings in Scandinavia thought that evergreens were a special plant of the sun god, Balder. That's
1: all very interesting, Lucy. And I, Ra sounds wonderful, doesn't he? With his blazing mm. disc disc and his crown and everything like that. Amazing. Amazing. Really, really interesting. But, but did you know that Germany is credited with starting the Christmas tree tradition as we now know it? And in the 16th mm. century, devout Christians brought decorated trees into their homes. That's when it all happened. Some built Christmas pyramids out of wood and decorated them with evergreens and candles if wood was scarce. Um, but it was widely held. I mean, it was a widely held belief that Martin Luther, the 16th century Protestant reformer, first added lighted candles to a tree. So he was the first one to do that. That's I didn't know that at all. Walking towards his home one winter evening, composing a sermon, the way you do, he was awed by the brilliance of stars twinkling amidst the evergreens. Oh, that sounds magical, doesn't it? And to capture the scene for his family... He erected a tree in the main room and wired its branches with lighted candles. Don't try that at home. I think it might be a slight fire risk. Um, But in 1846, the popular royals, Queen Victoria and her German prince, Albert, were sketched in the illustrated London news, standing with their children around a Christmas tree. Unlike the previous royal family, Victoria was very popular with her subjects. And what was done at court immediately became fashionable, not only in Britain, with the fashion-conscious East Coast American society as well. The Christmas tree had well and truly arrived. By the 1890s, Christmas ornaments were arriving from Germany and Christmas tree popularity was on the rise around the US. It was noted that Europeans used small trees, about sort of four foot high, whilst Americans liked their Christmas trees to reach from floor to ceiling sort of reminds me of that scene in Annie when um Annie's sort of uh, adopted by Daddy Warbucks whatever his name is and there's a great big christmas tree you know that kind of thing anyway digressing again the um the earliest 20 sorry the early 20th century saw americans decorating their trees mainly with homemade ornaments whilst german americans usually continued to use apples nuts and delicious marzipan cookies a bit more kind of european looking And popcorn joined in after being dyed bright colours and interlaced with berries and nuts. Ooh, sounds lovely. Electricity brought about Christmas tree lights, making it possible for Christmas trees to glow for days on end. With this, Christmas trees began to appear in town squares across the country, and having a Christmas tree in the home became an American tradition.
2: Hmm.
0: Well, that's all rather wonderful, isn't it? I can imagine the popcorn, actually. It would almost look like little Christmas lights, wouldn't it? All Mm. laced together on a string. Scrummy. (laughs) And mm. And finally, we could not complete our Christmas tree fun facts without mentioning possibly the most famous Christmas tree, certainly in the UK and most definitely in London. Every year since 1947, the Trafalgar Square Christmas tree has been given to the people of London by the city of Oslo as a thanks, as a token of thanks to the United Kingdom for their help during the Second World War. The assistance was varied, but when German troops invaded Norway in 1940, the king refused the invaders' requests to appoint a new Nazi-collaborating prime minister. After resistance from the Norwegian troops was toppled, the king, the royal family, and the Norwegian government fled the country. A government in exile was established in London, with the Norwegian ambassador's residence at its location, where it stayed until liberation in 1945. This Christmas tree has become a symbol of the long-standing and close friendship between Norway and the UK, although it's not the only tree given to the UK by Norway, as there are trees also in Orkney, Edinburgh, Aberdeen, Newcastle, Grimsby, and also now the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. The one in Trafalgar Square is, however, the most famous. I love
1: that. I love the fact that they've actually sent a veritable forest of Christmas trees over, haven't they? But it just really touches my my heart, that. I don't know, it makes me feel a bit kind of very cosy and Christmassy and goodwill. And I had no idea about the government thing, you know, coming to Britain. Fascinatingly, really interesting. The tree, which is the uh, Picea abies. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> a round of applause for my Latin. More commonly known as the Norway spruce. Uh, can grow up to 200 feet tall. Gosh. So the Christmas tree sent to London from Oslo is typically 50 years old and roughly 20 metres tall, so about 66 foot tall. I'm pretending my maths is one rather wonderful. <laughs> um, it gets cut in November during a ceremony attended by the British Ambassador of Norway, the Lord Mayor of Westminster and the Mayor of Oslo. Um, then the tree starts its journey across the sea to Felixstowe Docks. Vanguard, the storage company, have undertaken the movement of this rather special tree from the docks at Felixstowe to Trafalgar Square in central London since the early 80s. And the grand charge every year for this service is £1. Gosh, can this story get any more gorgeous?
0: (laughs) Oh, it's so amazing, isn't it? It's the real spirit of giving and the Mm. spirit of charity and everything Christmas should be, really. I think to find... To find a better spent pound would be a challenge, I would say. Here, yeah. here. So once it's here, this wonderful huge tree is lowered into a specially constructed socket and is decorated by 500 white lights, which are switched on on the first Thursday of December to mark the beginning of the festive season. Hurrah! The Trafalgar Square Christmas tree is the central point for groups and singers performing Christmas carols. Not only a spectacular sight. It is also a symbol of the season and a memento of the nation's good deeds. The tree then stays up in the square until the twelfth night of Christmas and is taken down, marking the end of Christmastide.
1: Ooh, I almost expecting you to start saying Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring."
0: Not only, even though a mouse, or not a, not even a mouse, not even a mouse, <laughs> not even. Is that sorry, right? Sorry,
1: I sprung you... that one on you, darling. But it's that. That's the way I'm feeling. Feeling very Christmassy. Fabulous. Thank you for all that. Really interesting, Lucy. And um, but we must go on. So let's turn to our rather festive floriography fun facts for this podcast. And for that, we are all about the poinsettia. That just sums up Christmas, doesn't it? Poinsettia. I say it with the French accent because I like that. Ponsetia plants are native to Central America, especially an area of southern Mexico known as Taxco del Alacon, using the flowers to make a purple dye for clothes and cosmetics. And the milky white sap, which I always find a bit strange, was made into a medicine to treat fevers of all things. And today we call the sap latex. Anyway, the Ponsetia was made widely known because of a man called Joel Roberts Ponset, that's why we call them Ponsettias. He was the first ambassador from the USA to Mexico in 1825. Ponsett had some greenhouses on his plantations in South Carolina, and whilst visiting the Taco area in 1828, he became very interested in the plants. He immediately sent some of the plants back to South Carolina, where he began growing the plants and sending them to friends and, bot- and botanical gardens. At the first Philadelphia flower show, Robert Bust, a plantsman from Pennsylvania, saw the flower and he was probably the first person to have sold Ponsettias under their botanical name, or Latin name, Euphorbia pulcami, pulcarima, pulcarima. ooh, it Sounds a bit kind of... what's her name? Margarita um which means the most beautiful Euphorbia. Ponsettias were first sold as cut flowers, but it wasn't... it was only in... There. But it was only in the early 1900s that they were sold as whole plants for landscaping and the pot plants we know and love now.
0: Hmm, lovely, Paulie. The poinsettias' Association with Christmas began in the 16th century in Mexico, where legend tells of a girl commonly called Pepita or Maria, who was too... <laughs> who was too poor to provide a gift for the celebration of Jesus's birthday and was inspired by an angel to gather weeds from the roadside and place them in front of the church altar. Crimson blossoms sprouted from the weeds in front of the altar and became poinsettias. From the 17th century, Franciscan friars in Mexico included the poinsettia plants in their Christmas celebrations. The star-shaped Leaf pattern said to symbolize the star of Bethlehem, and the red colour represents the blood sacrifice of Jesus' crucifixion. Ponsettias are popular Christmas decorations today in homes, churches, and offices all over the world. And in the US, December the 12th is National Ponsettia Day, marking the anniversary of John Robert Ponsett's death. The Ponsettia is also the national emblem of Madagascar. That's
1: all fascinating. Um, I'm feeling very, very twinkly, I must say. But can I quickly, allude? Ponsetiers, don't overwater them and keep them somewhere warmish, not by a cold window. They don't like a draft. But anyway. I'm not
0: going to water getting my Christmas tree in, I have to say. So we shall be forging forth over the next few days. Every Christmas, when it gets a little bit frosty, we bring reindeer downstairs, pop them out in the garden at the front of the house and turn them on, and they do look rather gorgeous and twinkly. Is it quite
1: chilly for them and in I the have...
0: garden, getting them out in the garden? Well, I think they're all right. I put a blanket over them overnight. Um, I keep them plugged in, and they're on a timer, so they uh, they spring forth once darkness comes, and then they uh, they turn their little twinkles oh. off once the dawn rises. But uh, I did have a lovely old neighbour who walked past and uh, a few years ago when we first got them, and he said, um, what you got those horses on your front lawn for? I said, I beg your pardon? <laughs> Said you've got a couple of horses on there. I said, no, no, they're not horses, they're reindeer. So um from Evermore, henceforth, they were known as the horses. So the Christmas horses are going to be brought down over the next few days, which means that Christmas is
1: here. Giddy up, me. I see. Giddy up to them. And giddy they, up, did they be Donder or Blitzen or you know whatever they're called?
0: We could name them anything you like feeling
1: very very festive But don't forget to subscribe to our Fabulous Flowers TV channel Over on YouTube So you'll get notifications of our 12 festive filmettes Soon to be released And they are pretty amazing He said You'll not want to miss any of them Wow that's all super
0: And will you be putting the tree up yourself Lucy? I think so I think I'll be putting it in the sitting room actually Um, So it's best to be shared by the family in that corner And on that note, everyone, it's a twinkly farewell with Christmas lights and horses from me until next time on our next festive podcast. Can't wait. Goodbye.
1: And I can't wait to giddy up to the next one myself and uh, have a lovely festive week, everyone, and a goodbye from me.